1: Welcome back to the Bruce Hooley Show, 98.9 FM, The Answer. I'm Jack Windsor, editor-in-chief of the Ohio Press Network, filling in for Bruce Hooley. U.S. Senator J.D. Vance is in his first term representing Ohio in the upper chamber. He serves on the Banking, Housing, and Urban Affairs Committee, the Commerce, Science, and Transportation Committee, the Joint Economic Committee, and the Special Committee on Aging. And uh, right now, he's with us on the phone line. Uh, Senator Vance, welcome to the Bruce Willie Show. How are you this afternoon, sir?
2: I'm good, Jack. How are you doing?
1: I am great. Uh, I prized this time together, so I'm going to jump right in if you don't mind. Cool. Um, I want to go to the mailbox. Uh, we had someone send a message, and uh, I teed up, by the way, your tweet last week on Issue 1. And this, this uh, listener wants to know, what do you think would happen if Issue 1 passes in Ohio?
2: Well, I think, unfortunately, it's going to get really weird in the state of Ohio. And what I mean is that you're going to have all of these out-of-state interest groups that come in and test the farthest possible meaning of what Issue 1 means, because it really throws parents out of the health care decisions of their kids, uh, not just the abortion decision, but also a number of other health care decisions. So uh, do, do you have, for example, a 13-year-old who asserts a constitutional right to transition uh, their gender uh, without any input from their parents? Do you have a 14-year-old girl who seeks to have an abortion without any input from her mother? Uh You're going to have people testing those cases. I also think you're going to have people testing the outer limits of what the, the actual limits on abortion are in Ohio, if there are any. Uh, one of the things that issue one advocates have said, I think they're being dishonest, is that this, this, this sort of reinstitutes Roe versus Wade. And they use that term, of course, because uh, the media has very often lied about Roe versus Wade, what, actually, what it actually does. But it's substantially more popular than abortion up to the moment of birth, which is what issue one actually enshrines in our Constitution. So you're going to have people who seek to get an abortion at, God forbid, 32, 33, 34 weeks and and they're going to they're gonna try to make that happen, too. And I hate to say it, but I think they're going to be successful. There's going to be some legal challenges. There's going to be some pushback. But if we enshrine the most radical pro-abortion amendment in the country into the state constitution, there aren't going to be any limits. There, aren't, there isn't going to be any parental involvement. And we're going to wake up in a much, much worse state than we had before issue one passes.
1: I concur with you 100% on that ass- assessment, Senator. Um, You've been a bulldog in discussing the silliness of woke policies uh, used by the government when you talked with the U.S. Secretary of Commerce, and uh, you've been very persistent in your follow-up on the ecological disaster in East Palestine, and then last week you put into a bill the prohibition of a federal mask mandate, so you've been busy. We can talk about any of those things if you want to, but I want to pivot to decoupling. You've been a champion of making sure that we talk about Ukraine funding separately than we talk about funding for Israel. And uh, I I first want to ask you, why is that so important to you? I want to get your stance on why decoupling
2: is critical. Well, for a few reasons. I mean, one, there's just an emotional reason, right? Israel is one of our oldest and most important allies. However you think that we should respond to their terrorist attack, they are one of our most important allies. And I think it's a slap in the face to use their national tragedy um, and and try to, to use it as political cover to pass $60 billion for Ukraine aid. Um, you know, what, what, what could be more insulting to a friend than to use them at a time of tragedy? And that's exactly what the Biden administration is doing. Uh, the, the second concern that I have here, Jack, is that we're allowing two very different issues to be collapsed uh, in, in a strategic conversation, in a strategic debate that the U.S. Congress needs to have. What is our end goal in Ukraine? What are we trying to accomplish? How much money will it take to accomplish it? What do we do about the terrible corruption problems in Ukraine if we decide to fund them? Uh, My view is that we should stop funding them because we don't have a plan. It costs too much money, and we can't solve the corruption problem over there. But even if you disagree with me, we should have the Ukraine debate, and we should have it separately from the Israel debate. What does Israel need? How can we best support them? How can we best protect America's interests while also ensuring that terrorism doesn't become a problem in the Middle East? Because, of course, when terrorism does become a problem over there, it somehow migrates to the United States, often through the the illegal aliens on our southern border. But but, but the point is, these are separate debates that we should be having. We should be honest with the American people. We should force the president of the United States – to make his case to the American people, we should not allow him to collapse everything together. I I, I hate to say it, Jack, but a lot of my Republican colleagues, or at least a few of my Republican colleagues, have been advocates for collapsing these things together. I don't know why we are giving Joe Biden a political jail out of free, get, get, get out of jail free card. We should ask him to make the case for his individual policies, and we don't do that When we collapse these massive spending packages together and vote on it all as one package, by the way, a package that most people won't even have read.
1: Well, and I agree with that, that last part wholeheartedly. So let me try to get this question around the barn quickly. I was shocked. You you retweeted it uh, that time published a report on a lot of things but one of the things highlighted was that there's somebody high up in in ukraine uh, linked to the president there saying corruption is is as bad now as it ever has been so i guess part one is does something like that wake up the mitch mcconnell's of the world and and other people on the republican side of the aisle and even if this thing gets decoupled in the house is there enough momentum in the senate to get it over the finish line decoupled
2: Well, the the last question is the tough one. I I don't know the answer to that. I think that you have a very strong uh, bipartisan group of senators who are pro-Israel, and so my my hope is that they wouldn't want to hold support for Israel hostage to support for Ukraine. But but I, I don't know that. I don't know how this ultimately shakes out when the votes actually happen. But I think we should push it as much as possible. I don't think we should preemptively give up. If we have to go back to the drawing board, so be it. But the new speaker has advanced a package i think it's going to pass it's going to pass by the way jack with pay fors which is really important because we can't go further into debt and i think that that's what we should do is have these individual single spending debates uh and push it in the senate as much as possible and try to be successful go back to the drawing board if we're not successful uh the the, the does that does the the article you mentioned about about rampant corruption in ukraine does it change mitch mcconnell's mind probably not uh, he is, he is very, very focused on the Ukraine issue, and of course I'm on the complete opposite side of the Ukraine question from Mitch McConnell. But, but what it really should, it should wake up all Americans because I, I've sat in classified briefings, and of course I rolled my eyes. I didn't believe these guys. But I've sat in classified briefings where the Biden administration has promised us that, the Ukra- that Ukraine does not have a corruption problem that we're sending them money, we're sending them weapons, and they're using it exactly as we would want them to, not on, say, shopping sprees for the wives of the the, uh, upper leadership of Ukraine. We know that they have a terrible corruption problem. We know that the Biden administration has been lying to us in the face. And this just gets worse and worse the more that we learn about it. So at the very least, even if you're pro-sending more weapons and money to Ukraine – Why don't you make a condition of further support the Biden administration taking a real look at corruption? If you support more aid to Ukraine, why don't you at the very least demand that Joe Biden stand before the American people and explain what that aid is going to accomplish? The fact that so many Republicans are not even doing our our, our diligence and our oversight responsibility is what I find so disgraceful about that. Of course, I disagree with Joe Biden's Ukraine policy, but this is becoming a farce where Republicans aren't even demanding that he justify tens of billions of dollars Mm -hmm. of spending of the American taxpayer money.
1: And it's not like there's any potential – for him to, you know, be wrapped up in some corruption there, right? I mean, my <laughs> goodness, the fact that the the press isn't even ringing the bell on this and going, wait a minute, no, you don't pass go, you don't get two hundred more dollars until you answer all of these questions about your son and your relationship with Ukraine. Um, but I, I digress there. About forty five seconds here, Senator Vance, um, you last week put into the minimum bill uh, a. a, a a prohibition, I guess, on a federal mask mandate with respect to transportation. Where is that right now?
2: So it passed the Senate, actually got a few Democrats supporting it. So we passed the Senate and look, my idea is, look, mask mandates shouldn't come back at all. Uh, we tried to make a very narrow mask mandate ban just focused on transportation. You know, we're talking to Amtrak, uh, of course, you know, flights and, and so forth. Any, anything where federal money is injected into the transportation system, there's going to be no mask mandates for those carriers. Uh, We got it out of the Senate. I think it's going to pass the House. The big question, of course, is whether Joe Biden signs it. But we we have a pretty good chance, I think, of of getting a, a win where we ban mask mandates on transportation. It's a small step, but I think it's an important step to making sure the COVID craziness doesn't come back.
1: He's Senator J.D. Vance from the great state of Ohio. Senator, thank you for joining us this afternoon on The Bruce Holy Show. We deeply appreciate you.
2: Thanks, man. Have a good one.
1: You too. Hey, stay tuned. Uh, for more on the Bruce Woolley Show, ninety-eight point nine FM, the Answer. Rounding third and heading home into the final segment of the Bruce Woolley Show on ninety-eight point nine FM, the Answer. I'm Jack Windsor filling in for the Bruce Hooley. Bruce, we love you. We're praying for you. And we expect you back in this chair at some point soon. Uh, I want to go to the mailbag. Got a question over break that I saw. Do you have some clear issue one info? I'm trying to share with someone who doesn't understand this isn't just a pro choice decision she's looking at. Thank you. And that comes from Jack. Uh, Well, Jack. Not me, by the way. (laughs) I didn't send that to myself. Uh, Great question. So I'm going to point you to three places. So let me see here. If we go to, if you go to protect women, that's W-O-M-E-N, protectwomenohio.com, and you look at the top of the page, there will be a tab for issue one, you click on that, and then it it states, read it for yourself. And then on the left there is the full text of the proposed amendment with markings. Now, those markings come from uh, a constitutional law expert and uh, another legal expert. Uh, one of them is Frank uh, You'll, I'll talk about him in just a moment. But it indicates what the amendment is and what it isn't. And it does things like underscore every individual. Well, That includes minors and no parental consent is needed. If individual means individual and it is not defined, then it's up to the courts to define it. And if you think that there isn't a court that's going to interpret that as a minor, then I I think you're sorely wrong. Um, And then it talks about all of the other broad terms, what they mean and how it is interpreted. And I would would suggest, Jack, if you're talking with someone who says, well, I don't see it in the amendment – then just ask her to point to the United States Constitution where it talks about Roe v. Wade and abortion protections there. It's not in the Constitution, and that is the part that a lot of people who are proponents for issue one choose to ignore. Legal precedent, case law oftentimes dictates what happens after, in this case, a constitutional amendment is a pa- is passed, and that's how we arrive at abortion to birth for matters of convenience and allowing minors to abort and gender transition without parental involvement. I would also point you to the Ohio press That's the Ohio and then search up major news outlet. Just type that in the full headline is major news outlet helping spread misinformation by Ohio issue one backers. Here's the truth. And we dive into All of the claims made by Issue 1 backers that were parroted by the Associated Press, things like, this doesn't go further than Roe v. Wade. Well, Dave Yost said that it does in his legal opinion. And um, health doesn't mean that you can abort for any reason. Well, actually, when health isn't defined in the amendment, the Supreme Court says so in this case. And you can click on it and see. So major news outlet helping spread misinformation by Ohio issue on backers. Here's the truth at theohiopressnetwork.com is another great source. And then I'm going to point you over to 989theanswer.com. That's 989theanswer.com. And you can search for the Bruce Hooley show. That's this show. And as you scroll down, you'll see Bruce's picture on the left. You keep scrolling to where it reads podcasts and then you'll see podcasts. So then it'll have a list of podcasts. Like it has guest Kate LeMaster. Well, you go over to the scroll there and you scroll down, scroll down, scroll down and keep scrolling until you see October 25th. And that podcast is guests, Beth Vanderkoy and, Frank Scaturo. Now, Frank Scaturo is the constitutional law expert who joined us for the town hall Q&A, Ohio issue one, on October 25th. So you can listen to to Beth. You can listen to Frank by clicking on that podcast. Um, and then you can listen to Rachel Setak. She's the civil rights attorney, uh, a black woman out of, I believe, the Cincinnati area who talked about uh, not only the civil rights aspect of this, but also about the reality that almost 50% of abortions are performed on 6% of the population. Who am I talking about? I'm talking about black women. And if black lives matter, why why don't they matter? And the people who were marching behind the banner of black lives matter in 2020, why aren't they marching behind the banner of no on issue one? Because abortion kills way more people in the black community. Um, and then Dr. Michael Parker, he is the board certified OBGYN who for 30 years has been practicing he's delivered over 6,000 babies and he eviscerates the fallacy that ectopic pregnancies and miscarriages wouldn't be allowed to standard if issue one um, does not pass and he even says interesting I learned that it's not even a standard practice to abort If you're an OBGYN in most cases, not, I don't know if you knew this because it doesn't ever get talked about and it doesn't get talked about because then it would discredit the position of, uh, you know, the pro murderers. And that is that it's in most instances, healthier to deliver the baby than it is to dismember or, you know, um, partially birth and then kill the child. Uh, so abortion is not a standard practice That is taught to OBGYN, so that's another interesting piece. And then also you can see segment three, town hall Q&A, segment four, town hall Q&A. In those two podcasts, the, the questions about rape and incest are addressed. One of the other false claims is that there is an abortion ban in the state of Ohio. There isn't. The heartbeat bill, which would allow abortions up to the point that a heartbeat can be detected, Uh, is not currently in force. It's on, it's in the Ohio revised code, but a judge in Hamilton County stayed that law, meaning that it's suspended right now. So 22 weeks is the time up to which you can abort a child. So there is no ban. And even with the heartbeat bill, there's no ban. You can still abort and you can still abort. If it's an ectopic pregnancy, if um, the mother's life is at risk or if a, Major bodily function is at risk. In all of those instances, you can abort. And certainly if there's rape or incest, you can abort up until the time the child has a heartbeat. So um, we handle that misnomer and that falsity uh, as well as many, many others. Uh, one of them being that um, killing babies late in um, the pregnancy doesn't happen. And again, I said earlier, but we we discuss how it happens with Dr. Haskell and Dayton who's built the practice on that uh, as well as uh, the doctor out in Colorado who's been doing it for five decades. And then, and then the thing that everybody wants to sweep under the rug is that um, there are people like Kermit Gosnell's of the world who are illegally performing procedures that equate to infanticide, which is killing a healthy baby for whatever reason. Uh, So Jack, I hope that answers your question and uh, I'm grateful for your asking it. You know what else I'm grateful for? I'm grateful that you listened today to The Bruce Foley Show on 98.9 FM, The Answer. And uh, great big, great big thank you to uh, many who joined us today. And uh, one of them being Congressman Warren Davidson and U.S. Senator J.D. Vance. I'll be back with you tomorrow.